All right, this evening, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Colossians chapter number 4. Colossians chapter 4 this evening. And as we have been doing on Wednesday nights for the past several weeks, we're going to think about another discipline, one of the basic disciplines in the Christian life. And we spoke the first week in talking about this wheel of the Christian life. We spoke about how Jesus is to be the center. He's to be the the hub, the reason for our lives. And when you think about a wheel, the hub is an extremely important part. It is what attaches your wheel to whatever vehicle or device you're trying to use that wheel for. Without the center, without the hub, the wheel is kind of, well, useless. And then we've been talking about the spokes, some of the other the disciplines of the Christian life, and we talked about the Word of God and how important God's Word is in our Christian life, in our spiritual life, in walking with Him in God's Word. And of course, we just had a, a conference uh, starting on Thursday night last week and running all the way through Sunday evening, talking about our walk with God. And it's interesting this evening, our text is we're going to be talking about our walk a little bit. But then we talked not only about God's word, we talked also about prayer and how important, how vital prayer is. And truly, without God's word and without prayer in our lives, we're going to have a very anemic Christian life. You can't have a walk with God. You cannot have a relationship with God without his word being in your life constantly and without prayer, without hearing from God and without speaking to God, you don't have a relationship. It's kind of like, you know, you don't really have a relationship with someone here on earth if you never talk to them and you never hear from them. If you uh, purposefully avoid talking to them, every time they call, you kind of just hit the red button, you decline their call. You do that for long enough, right? They're going to get the message. They're going to get the idea. You don't really have a relationship with that person. But you and I, if we want a Christian life that's vibrant, that is alive, that is what it ought to be, we need to have not only Jesus in the center of our lives every day, but we need to be in God's word and we need to be in prayer every day. But then as we we think about one of the other Christian disciplines this evening, we're going to look at the Christian discipline of witnessing. Witnessing. You know, you and I are called as Christians to go with the gospel. Jesus gave that command to his first church there, the disciples, before he ascended. Jesus told them, he gave them what we call the Great Commission, that they were to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Not only were they to preach the gospel, but they were also to make disciples of them. The the text there talks about how they were to teach them all things, teaching them to observe all things. And that's the idea of discipleship. It's not just going out and winning people and making, uh, getting professions under your belt and then leaving them, right? It's the idea of actually going and discipling them, bringing them along, teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. But this evening we want to look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, and think about the Christian discipline of witnessing, how we are to be speaking for Christ. And this evening we want to think about this thought that we are to season our speech. Season your speech. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 5, the Apostle Paul is speaking here, and he says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, 
seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Now, how many of you here this evening like spices in your food? You like food that has some flavor to it, that's alive a little bit? I mean, some people do like bland food. They like food that doesn't have much taste to it, food that you can't really distinguish whether it's mashed potatoes or oatmeal or pizza. I don't know. Some people like bland food. I, for one, I like seasonings. I think my wife enjoys flavor and seasonings in her food even more than I do. I'll often think that something tastes really good, and she'll say, eh, it needs more flavor. But when you think about seasonings, you know, you and I, we can go down to just about any grocery store, and we can find seasonings on the shelf very cheaply. Right? You can go down to the dollar store, you can go down to Dollar General, you can go to Walmart, and you can get the Walmart brand of spices and seasonings for less than a dollar a container. But if you were to go back in time, not that much back in time, you would find that spices and seasonings were a lot more expensive. There are spices even still today that are extremely expensive. If you want to get vanilla, for instance, there are certain types of vanilla that run upwards of $50 an ounce for vanilla. And you can get the vanilla beans and you got to scrape it out of the pod. And it's, uh, I think, saffron. Saffron is referred to as red gold. It's supposed to be the most expensive spice there is today. But really, you know, even today, saffron and spices like that are cheap in comparison to what they used to be. In ages gone by, they used to actually use some spices as currency because they were so valuable. And you can even read about, you know, Solomon and how he brought some spices in from afar in the Bible. But seasoning. Right? We like some flavor in our food. The Apostle Paul here says in our text that we are to season our speech with salt. And we'll think about that a little bit this evening, what it means to season our speech. But in comparison, right, we like seasoning in our food. It's a good thing to have some food that has some flavor. It can have too much flavor for sure. But... In the same way, it's good for our speech to be seasoned. But as we think a little bit about the context, what's going on here in Colossians chapter 4, because we're, we're kind of just, we're diving in, we're pulling two verses out, right? We haven't been studying the book of Colossians here. But in chapter 4 here, uh, Paul is writing this book to the church in Colossae, right? And he's encouraging them in this book that they are to stand fast in the faith. He, he spends the, the bulk of the letter exhorting and encouraging them with various things. But when we reach chapter number four, we find Paul revealing a little bit about himself. If you go up to verse number one, he says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. And in verse number three, he begins to pour out his heart a little bit. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. 
Now, it's interesting, right? Paul here is asking the Colossian church. He's saying, guys, pray for me. I want you to pray for me. And he, he tells them that he is in bonds. He's in prison. This is one of the prison epistles that Paul wrote when he's sitting there under Roman guard. But it's interesting what he says in verse number four. In verse, in verse three, he asks that they would pray that God would open a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. But in verse 4, he says that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Make it manifest. You know, that, that means to, to make it known, to spread it abroad. In other words, I think what Paul is saying here, he's asking that they would pray that he would open his mouth, that he would be a witness like he ought to be. Now, that's interesting to me because when I think of the Apostle Paul, right, I don't think of someone who had trouble being a witness for Christ. I think of someone who was very bold in proclaiming his faith. I think of someone who traveled all over the known world spreading the gospel. I don't think of someone who needed prayer that he would open his mouth and make the gospel manifest as he ought to. But that is exactly what he is asking prayer for. He's asking that the brethren in the church at Colossae would pray for him that he would Make the gospel manifest. And I, I, I find myself in the same vein as Paul then. You know, sometimes when the Holy Spirit nudges me, I see someone and I see an opportunity to present the gospel. Oh, you know, that fear of man can begin to crop up so easily. Oh, you know, what if I tell them about Jesus? They might get really angry. They might cut my head off. They might run me over. Ah, you say no. Well, of course, I don't really think that they're going to cut my head off or run me over. But how many of us have grappled with the fear of man, with thinking, oh, you know, they're going to really be upset if I say something right now? Apparently, Paul the Apostle also struggled with this kind of thing. He's asking them for prayer. You'll notice then in verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. The Apostle Paul is asking them not only for prayer in this area, but now he is challenging them. He's trying to adjust their perspective, and he gives them some commands here. Some commands that you and I can take. First of all, this evening, we must walk in wisdom. We must walk in wisdom. That's the first thing he says in verse number 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. We spent several evenings last week talking about the walking with God, the Christian walk. And when we, I believe Brother Graham defined our walk, you know, as our conversation, our comportment, what we do in our life. Not only what we say, but the way that we live our life. And so if we're walking with God, right, there are some necessary components, some, some things that are going to be taking place in our life that will lead to walking with God. Spending time in God's Word. Spending time in God's house. Spending time in prayer. Right? These are all things that we do in order to walk with God. Paul here is speaking about their walk of life, their direction, the path that they are taking on a daily basis. And he says that there is a specific way in which they, and this evening you and I, by extension, are to walk. To walk in 
Wisdom. Wisdom. You know, if you really stop and think about it, walking in wisdom is not the normal. It's not the default in life. If you look out here at the world around us, most people are not walking according to wisdom. Most people, and I think you can identify this if you really begin to examine your own heart, the temptation to just walk according to the flesh. The temptation to walk according to, well, I just react to what happens to me. And I get to the end of the day. And, you know, the things that I did today were just in response to the, the things that were input in front of me. You know, so I had to go to work. And so I went to work. And I, you just react from decision to decision, from moment to moment. And many people, that's how they live their lives. They just react from one thing to another. They're not really walking according to wisdom. They're not really paying attention. They're not really being diligent to make sure that they are walking in the right way. You can probably think of a time when you were kind of living, you might call it living on autopilot, right? Just kind of cruising along, and sometimes you might wake up. There might be some kind of an event or circumstance in life that wakes you up, and you say, well, what have I been doing? You know, sometimes this can happen financially. You can just be cruising along, living on autopilot, doing what you want to do, and then you get a letter in the mail. You get a bill in the mail, and you go, whoa, okay. Okay. Need to go back to living on a budget. Need to go back to making sure that I'm spending what I ought to be. And there's many areas in life where people can just live responsively, reacting, and not walk in wisdom. But Paul here says that we are to walk in wisdom. But notice the, the recipient or the direction in which we are to walk in wisdom. He says, toward them that are without. Toward them that are without. We're to walk in wisdom toward those that are on the outside of a relationship with Christ. Those that are without. Those that are without the church. Those that are without Christ. They are on the outside of knowing the truth. And Paul tells us that we're to walk in wisdom toward in other words, if you and I are not walking in wisdom, then we're leaving people with a bad testimony. Our interactions with the people around us, they ought to see Jesus Christ. If, if we're walking in wisdom toward them that are without, that means that we're ordering our life according to how Christ would have us order it in a wise manner, and it's for the purpose of being an example, for the purpose of being a picture to those that are on the outside. You know, people that are around us ought not to find us walking foolishly while naming the name of Christ. They ought to find Christians as honest, upright, faithful, diligent people. Our conversation, our walk, our way of life before them ought to be according to the wisdom of God's word. You know, it's not hard to stand out in this world. There's a lot of foolishness that abounds all around us. If you're a diligent person, if you order your life according to the precepts of God's word, you're going to stand out. People are going to notice that there is something different about you. That's what we would call... 
what Paul is talking about, walking in wisdom toward them that are without. You and I have a great opportunity in those that we rub shoulders with every day to be a living, breathing, walking testimony of wisdom, of the benefits of following after God of the blessings and of the change that Jesus makes in someone's life. Paul tells them that they are to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. He doesn't stop there, though. In verse number 5, he also says that they are, and we are, to redeem the time. Redeeming the time. You know, the reality is, for each one of us, that time is fleeting by. You're older right now than you were this morning. You're older right now than you were a year ago. And time marches on. Time is a very finite resource. You know, even if we live to be 100, 110, 120, you live to be one of the oldest persons on the earth. Life is short. It is but a vapor. We must realize how quickly time is passing us by. And like Paul says here, we ought to redeem the time. Redeeming the time. That word redeeming means to buy it up. To buy it up. We talked a couple weeks ago about how we are to buy the truth and sell it not. Right? In relationship to God's word. All of us, we have access to a Bible. But it doesn't mean just because I hold the Bible in my hand, just because I set it on my nightstand or on my coffee table, just because I tuck it under my arm or put it in the backseat of my car, or just because I have it on my phone that I carry with me like everywhere, just because of that, it doesn't mean that I'm buying the truth. There's some effort that's required in order to buy the truth of the Word of God. So also... Just because you and I recognize that time is fleeting, it doesn't mean that we're redeeming the time. It doesn't mean that we're buying that time up. We're using it wisely. Paul says that they are to redeem the time. Redeeming the time. Every day that you and I spend is something that we cannot get back. So if you and I spend our days, the days of our lives, even if we have many, if we spend them all, on things that are only here, things that are only having to do with this life, with this world, and we forget the things of eternity, then we're not redeeming the time, right? If, if I'm only spending my days on things here, it's wasteful. It's not buying my time back. It's not investing my time in the future. It's like... Uh, I don't know, it's like going to a fair when you're a kid and your parents give you $20. And they say, all right, this is all you get for the entire night. And that kid goes and he dumps it on a game. First thing. All right, that's kind of foolish. Now it's all spent up. And then, you know, five minutes later when he wants some food, he can't have any food because he already spent all of his money. Or you spend your money all on cotton candy and then you realize, well, that was a bad decision. Now I'm hungry 10 minutes later and I've got nothing to show for it. Right? We can spend our lives here on earth chasing after frivolous, meaningless pursuits that in light of eternity will mean nothing. But you and I have the opportunity to redeem 
the time. We have the opportunity to do things here on earth that have eternal impact. We have the opportunity to invest our days, the moments of our lives now that we can't hold on to. It's like grabbing a fistful of sand and you squeeze it tighter and tighter and it just begins to sift through your fingers until it's all gone. That's life. But you know, there is a way that you and I can hold on to our life. There's a way that we can get some of it back, that we can redeem it. And that's investing in eternity. That's laying up treasure in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt, where thieves do not break in and steal, where the government doesn't come in and devalue it with inflation, stealing your money from you, right? We can lay up treasure in heaven forever. Paul challenges us that we must redeem the time. How sad it will be when we reach heaven and realize just how many days, just how many opportunities we let pass us by as we were too engrossed in the things of this life. So Paul tells us that we must walk in wisdom and we must redeem the time. But last of all this evening, you and I, we must season our speech. Season our speech. In verse number 6, he says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Let. That first word, let, is a command. It is a choice that you and I must make. If our speech, if your speech is going to be seasoned with salt, if it's going to be always with grace... It's up to you. God's not going to force your speech to be what it ought to be. There's, it's not my job as your pastor to come along and examine your speech every day. right? I can't do that for all of you. I can't come and monitor your speech and say, okay, you, your speech needs to be all way with grace, seasoned with salt. No, it's a choice that you must make. It's a choice that I must make. Let your speech be always with grace. It's a work that God can do in and through us, but we must allow it. We must allow Him to do this work. You'll notice there, let your speech be always with grace. With grace. You think about what grace is. Grace is God's unmerited favor towards you and I. God's help in the situations of life. You know, our speech as Christians ought to be something that ministers grace to others. You think about most people, what do most people talk about on a daily basis? You stand in line at the checkout counter at the grocery store, what do you talk about? Well, for most, most of us, we probably talk about the weather right now and how hot it is and complain about, you know, I had to walk from my air-conditioned car uh, like 30 yards to get in here to this air-conditioned building. It was so hot, I broke a sweat. And then, to get home, I've got to do it in reverse. And that's pretty rough. You know, I was, I was thinking about this this afternoon as I was walking from my bus back to my vehicle in the hot parking lot at the bus lot. I was thinking about, man, I'm a wimp. I was thinking about, you know, 
I'm thinking about how hot this is and how terrible this is. You know, it wasn't that long ago most people didn't have air conditioning. It wasn't that long ago when nobody had air conditioning because they hadn't invented it yet. And people had to spend, you know, summer nights sweating, wanting to go to sleep, laying there tossing and turning. And eventually they probably figured out a way to go to sleep. When I lived over in Africa with my parents, my parents had an air conditioner in their bedroom, but the rest of us didn't have an air conditioner. And it was pretty similar to here, except it wasn't humid. But, you know, we lived in a concrete house there, and it would heat up during the daytime, and so at nighttime it was still 90-some degrees in my bedroom. And I hated that. I hated laying there under the fan just wishing to go to sleep, sweating. But, you know, really, it's kind of wimpy. But that's the kind of stuff that we talk about, right? We spend our time with idle chit-chat, talking about this. Many people will talk about sports teams, the local news. They'll talk about their favorite topics, the, the hobbies, the things that they're involved in. But often we can never get around to talking about Christ and about the gospel and about the difference that he's made in our lives. You know, if we're not careful, we can begin to talk like those around us. We can begin to use the same speech that the world does, talking about things that are meaningless. Not only that, many people use their tongues for destruction. We've been walking through the book of James on Sunday nights lately, and there's a lot that we've looked at in the book of James about the destruction that the tongue can bring. Many people use their tongues for wicked, wicked speech, for destructive speech that tears people down. But you know, as the children of God, our speech ought to be that which ministers grace. It ought to be all way with grace. The book of Proverbs talks much about how our, our speech ought to be that which builds other people up. Paul here tells us that our, let your speech be all way with grace. But then he goes on and he says seasoned with salt. That's an interesting thing to say, that your speech ought to be seasoned with salt. Like Paul wants us to take a salt shaker with us, and every time we're talking, just kind of sprinkle some on your tongue, talk for a little while till it dissolves, you know, sprinkle some more on your tongue. No, that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about literally seasoning your tongue or your speech with salt or throwing salt over your shoulder or anything weird like that. What he's talking about is that our speech ought to be something that provides benefit. You think about salt. Salt in our day and age, once again, you know, we talked about seasonings and how seasonings today are relatively cheap. Salt used to be something that was very, very valuable. Today, it's kind of cheap and worthless to a lot of people. Good salt today, really good salt, is still, you know, it's more pricey than what you just get at a restaurant or something. But even still, good salt is cheap today. But back in Roman days, back when Paul was writing this, they used to pay soldiers with salt. Salt was a very valuable commodity. Paul here says that we ought to season our speech with salt. Salt had a lot of uses and still does today. You think about some of the uses of salt. One thing that salt does is that it enhances flavor. You add some salt to food or to a dish, and it makes the flavors in that dish 
come alive. Even with bread, if you bake, if you bake bread without salt, it will be very bland tasting. And in fact, if it's a yeasted bread and you don't add salt in, it can actually over-raise and can cause problems with your baking. Salt is important. Salt gives, it awakes and makes those flavors come alive. If we are seasoning our speech with salt, our speech won't be dull and tasteless. Our speech will have a quality to it that others appreciate. Certainly, if our speech is filled and influenced by the filling of the Spirit of God, it will have a quality to it that other people appreciate. You know, living according to the principles of Christ, it, by nature, makes your speech something that other people appreciate. There's a lot of people in this world that use speech that other people do not appreciate. They use very coarse and caustic speech, as if somehow it makes them a bigger person or it makes them more impressive, but really, they put a lot of people off with that kind of speech. Good speech, speech that's influenced by the Spirit, will have a, a good taste. It will leave a good taste in people's mouth. Another thing that salt is useful for is it preserves. Salt preserves. It arrests corruption. If you want to make bacon, I enjoy making my own bacon, because then I can slice it however thick I want it. But you go down to the store or the butcher and you get a pork belly. And one of the first things that you do is you season it with salt. And you put that in the fridge and you let it sit for about a week. And that salt will draw the moisture out of the meat. And the salt will enter the meat. And it will preserve that pork from spoiling, from going rancid, from becoming corrupt. Salt is extensively used even today in preserving meat. If you think about our speech being seasoned with salt, our speech ought to be that which arrests corruption in the lives of others. You know, if you minister the Word of God to other people in your speech, you have the opportunity to be involved in arresting corruption in their lives. The wickedness of man, the sin of man is corrupting. It's a corrupting influence. Man has corrupting speech patterns that spread. But yet, as a Christian, we have the opportunity to sprinkle our speech with salt. To help arrest some of the corruption around us. And you know, certainly, if you and I are involved in witnessing, the, the main subject that we're talking about this evening, witnessing, sharing the gospel with others, that is something that certainly arrests corruption in people's lives, right? When Jesus moves into someone's heart, it has a, he has a way of arresting the corruption. He has a way of taking them from being dead and trespasses and sins and making them alive in him. What better way to be involved in arresting corruption in other people's lives than ministering the gospel to them in our speech? Another thing that salt does is it creates thirst. Creates thirst. You know, there's a, an old common saying about how you can't, take, you can't lead a horse to water, or you can lead a horse to water, sorry, you can't make him drink, right? You can drag that horse down, he might follow you, you can get him to the water, but you can't make him drink. You can't, I mean, you can even stick his head down in the water if he'll let you, but you can't force that horse to drink that water. But you know what you can do? 
you can give that same horse a salt lick. And you let that horse lick on that salt for a little while. And it won't be too long until that horse, he's going to want to drink. He's now thirsty because that salt has created in him a thirst. You know, you and I, if we are seasoning our speech with salt, we have the opportunity to create thirst in other people. There's a lot of people out here that want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They want nothing to do with following after him. They want nothing to do with having Jesus reign and rule over them. They want to live their lives the way that they want to live them. They want to do what they want to do. They want to have fun. They want to participate in the sin that they want to participate in. But you know, you and I, we have an ally. On the inside of every single person, God has placed a conscience. God has written on every man's heart what is right and what is wrong. And we have the witness of the Holy Spirit as well. And so when you and I come along, though someone may outwardly push against the gospel, they may refuse, they may not want to hear, if you and I are able to come along and minister with our speech, season it with some salt, sprinkle in some of the verses that we know, sprinkle in some gospel, the Holy Spirit is able to take those things and use them in people's hearts. Now, how many people have come to know Christ that wanted nothing to do with Him, but yet along the way there were people that they bumped into. There were people who witnessed to them. There were people who gave them Bible verses to think about. Someone's referred to it as leaving a stone in someone's shoe. You give them something to think about, something for the Holy Spirit to use in their life. You think about a stone if you're walking and you get a stone in your shoe. If you're stubborn like me, you might try to walk for a little while. Especially if, you know, the laced up boots or something. Think, Man, I don't want to bend over and untie that and get that out. That's going to take forever. But, you know, after a while, you walk with that stone in your shoe. What are you going to do? It's going to bother you enough to examine what's going on. It's going to bother you enough to remove it. If you and I come and we witness to someone, we share with them Scripture, we never know what God is going to do with that witness. We never know where it's going to end. But if we can leave them with a little stone in their shoe, something to bother their conscience, something that the Holy Spirit will use to work on their hearts, that's a great opportunity for us to be involved in someone's life. Paul refers to it as seasoning our speech with salt. That ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. When we are yielded to the Spirit and walking in His power, we will find that there are open doors all around us to be a testimony for Him. But you know, it starts, like Paul says here, walking in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time, and letting our speech be always with grace. If you and I resist God on this, if we push back against Him, we talk the way that we want to talk. We don't redeem the time. We don't allow Him to work in and through us. We don't practice seasoning our speech with salt, allowing our speech to be with grace, but rather we give in to the ways of the flesh. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be presented with an opportunity to speak to someone about the gospel. And you're going to trip all over yourself. You're not going to know what to say. You're going to get all tongue-tied. You're going to say something wrong. Why? 
Well, because you've been talking like the world. You haven't been allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through your speech. And now when you're presented with an opportunity and someone asks you a question, you're like, uh, I don't know. And I think if we're all honest, we've probably all been in that position. But it starts walking in wisdom, redeeming the time, and allowing our speech to be always with grace. You know, our speech ought to be full of God's word. Our speech ought to be full of the blessings of God. You, know, you don't have to be weird about it. But we have an opportunity to speak for Christ. You know, people ask you, oh, how's it going today? Oh, it's going great. You know, God's been so good to me lately. You can tell them about something that God's done in your life. You can tell people about something that God spoke to you about in his word this morning. Now, these are opportunities that you and I have. May we season our speech with salt. May we allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us and use the interactions that we have with others, walking in wisdom toward them that are without, recognizing that our time is short, we need to buy it back, and allowing God to work through our speech in other people's lives. You know, witnessing is an important, important thing. Sometimes we can think, well, okay, you know, I'm going to go witness. I'm going to take some tracks and go knock some doors, or I'm going to take these tracks and go pass them out, and now I've witnessed. But you know, a lot of witnessing can happen just standing in the grocery store line, talking to coworkers, talking to family members, allowing God to work in and through our speech in other people's lives.